in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. Welcome to the show. We're going to a live story out in uh, Medina. Is that where you are, Barbara? We're in Plymouth right now. Plymouth. Uh, what, what's going on? Uh, we've got a two-car pileup. we got a Toyota Camry and a Ford F-150. Uh, the F-150 looks to be in decent shape. The front bumper is on top of the rear wheels of the Toyota. Uh, we got one guy's legs bleeding pretty bad. The other guy's got an afro from the Toyota, and they're checking his head out, but they got to sift through some hair first. But it uh, looks like everyone's going to be okay. We got about 12 cops on the scene, and uh, I can't get a green light for the life of me right now. Dang, yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, caught in some rush hour traffic. Uh, no fun at all. How, uh, do we want any more breaking news here, Andy? I feel like that's enough. Can we, can we just go into, uh, some Timberwolves chatter? I like Timberwolves chatter. Let's do it. Uh, so the Timberwolves, I mean, I don't know what really to say about it. It was, I got bought in, especially after that game one win, uh, over Memphis on the road. They played awesome. Uh, they had, they had a, a great chance to, I think, win that series. And they just time and time again in the fourth quarter, just terrible mistakes playing hero ball. And I think a lot of it starts with Carl Anthony Towns. He took a ton of heat during this series. He was brilliant at times. He was terrible at times. Uh, But I think another guy is D'Angelo Russell, who was basically non-existent in the entire series. Uh, Anytime we needed a big shot from him, he did have maybe one or two big shots, I think, uh, in game five. But anytime we really, or maybe it was game four, I think it was game four. Uh, anytime we really needed a big shot from D'Lo or, or from from Cat, even a few times, uh, it was just a mistake. It was a big time D'Lo pulling up from deep NBA threes or taking no no pass shots. We just dribbling up the court and shooting it. Or that one, I'm thinking it was in game six, where he throws it over the hoop. It was an air bank uh, with like. 12 seconds left in the game. He drives in and takes like a 17-footer fadeaway and throws it over the hoop. Uh, I mean, just any time we needed something at the end of those games, D'Lo just disappeared. And maybe this is more of an off-season thing. I guess we're in the off-season now. But, BG, I know you've watched the team a lot. Parker, I know you have as well. Uh, let's start with BG. Your take on the series, how the Wolves performed, and maybe some guys who underperformed. Yeah, I thought the Wolves, for the most part, performed really well in the series. Um, I'd say like 70% of each game, they played very well, um, excluding that, the game two where we just were down the whole game. But other than that, we played really well. We just couldn't finish in the fourth quarter. And when we got a lead, especially a double-digit lead, we did everything we could um, to give that up and allow Memphis to get back into the game. Um, and one time during the series, if, if, if it just happened one game, you know, you could understand that it's a young team. Um, but when it continuously happens, when you are up 25 points at home, um, nearly two times uh, during that same game, and then you come back to lose that game, and it just happens over and over again. It's, it, I think it tells us about our players that we have as well as our coaching. 
Um, I really liked Finch, but I thought there was multiple games um, during the playoffs that he did not coach well and did not take huge timeouts like he like he should have done. Um, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I think there were some obvious spots, whether it's that 21-0 run um, during one of the games or if it's D'Lo coming down the court at the end of the game doing an ISO. I don't know if, it was, if that was the shot that went over the backboard, but we just needed a bucket from him, and all we got was just an ISO mid-range contested jump shot that went nowhere, um, where I think, first of all, it's a horrible shot, but second of all, call a timeout and drop a play. Um, but, yeah, to go off of what you were saying, our main guys, Towns and D'Lo, they just weren't there when it mattered. Towns had a good game. D'Lo had a good play-in game, and that was pretty much it. Um, Towns couldn't stay out of foul trouble. And like you said, whenever we needed a big shot from either of them, it was a chuck-up of 40-footer with 15 seconds to go on the shot clock. Um, and we ultimately benched D'Lo for Jordan McLaughlin, who I thought had a tremendous series, and I have always been a big uh, a big fan of his. So um, I... I I think that he performed greatly. D'Lo, I believe, needs to go. And it sounds like that is the word on the street in the NBA that um, a D'Lo trade is expected to happen during this offseason, which I think really needs to happen. Um, and we'll see what we can do uh, with Towns and Edwards. Edwards, I thought, played tremendously whenever we needed a big shot from him. He always took a great shot, and most of the times he was scoring them. Um, and he was the outlier, I think, for our team that played consistently in every single game and performed, whether it was home or away or a big shot at the end of the game. So um, it was definitely disappointing, especially with us being up 70% of the series. And we easily could have won the series 4-1 to one if we didn't give up double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. So it's just more Minnesota playoffs heartbreak. Um, we've got a young team, so that's something to look forward to. And hopefully we can just start off where we left off this year. Yeah, I think we gave up a lead in game three. Well, obviously it was like the 20, it was at most 27 points. I think we got it to 25 at two different points in game three. We gave up that lead. We gave up a fourth quarter lead in game four, game five, and game six. Is that right, Parker? Uh, yeah, that'd be not, not game four. We won game four, but uh, oh, right, game, right. game three, five, and six. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. You want to say, oh yeah, we're a young team, and we are a young team, but but so is Memphis, and I I didn't really like to hear that uh, from the commentators and from, and they weren't making a lot of excuses for the Wolves. I think the TNT crew every night we had a TNT game, they were hammering on Carl Anthony Towns, and for for good reason many of the times. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a bummer, especially when when you give up that massive lead in Game Three that changes the entire series. Um, if you win that game and you win game four and then you go back to Memphis with the lead rather than it being a 2-2 two, two series. But, Parker, your takeaway from the series and uh, any expected moves this offseason? Yeah, I guess I'll kind of just – Brady, you hit a lot of it on the head there with your analysis. I mean, in, in terms of D'Lo, he did not uh, do what he was brought here for. Um, I mean, like you said, he had a good playing game. Uh, he sprinkled 14, 15 here and there, but he did not have the impact that we were looking for. Or what, what I was looking for was the leadership out of him. You know, when you get in those fourth quarter situations where Memphis starts to come back, you need to be able to settle your team down. Obviously, Pat Bev does a great job of that. But, you know, a, a point guard's responsibility is, hey, let's slow this down. Let's get a good shot. 
Let's not play one-on-one basketball, which is what we saw in those three games that we gave up those leads, is it was one-on-one basketball. Whether it was Ant, who I know he played pretty well in the series, but he took some dumb shots towards the end of the game. Cat did the same thing. Um, but I, you need you need better leadership out of your point guard uh, bringing up the ball late in the fourth quarter, and we just didn't have that from him. Uh, one thing I'll add on to the, the leads that we blew, um, I did some – some analysis or some research, I should say, on it. And besides game two, the Memphis Grizzlies did not lead in the third quarter of any game. And you put that in perspective, you're, you know, you're going into half with the lead in every single game. That's, that's what that means. And you come out of the third quarter, which, you know, if you're a Minnesota basketball fan, you know that the third quarter has been a problem for the Wolves in past seasons. You know, they seem to rectify that this year and especially in the playoffs, but, you, you you hold three three ten plus point leads in the fourth quarter and you blow them and you set a record with two and then you do it again in game six. I mean it's just it's it's unexcusable. Things do have to change. Um, I I think that although the Wolves they clearly out outperformed their expectations this year. When you get to the playoffs and you get in those situations, it's there's no excuse for oh it's a young team. You know, they've been playing basketball their whole lives. You don't give up double-digit leads in the last quarter of a game because you're young. I mean, they're all professionals. They know how to play basketball. It's just, it's just about the coaching, one, uh, and two, taking good shots. And that's what it boils down to. And, and we didn't see that. Hopefully, you know, we can, we can do something differently next year because we'll be back next year. I'm pretty, fairly confident in that. But, yeah, definitely disappointed in the, in the late-game performance um, of the Wolves. Yeah, it's the hero ball. At the end of every game, we just start playing hero ball where we stop passing the ball, stop having, you know, driving kickouts and, and extra passes, which they were doing an awesome job of in game one. It was like the extra pass wolves where they were sometimes making too many passes. And then we get into the fourth quarter and the ball just got sticky and they start holding it. They start taking bad shots. Cat pulls up from 45 feet. And to be honest, that shot, I think it was game six, was a pretty good look. I mean, it almost went, but the fact that it does, it it didn't go. It, you can't take that shot. If you're going to take that shot, you have to make it. And Anthony Edwards talks about taking bad shots all the time. He takes some bad shots, uh, but a lot of the times he makes the shots that are contested with a hand in his face from deep beyond the arc. But if you're Cat or if you're D'Lo and you're going to take a wild shot, you better be damn sure you're going to make it. Because uh, you can't play hero ball, missing shots, blowing fourth quarter leads, and expect everything to be fine and normal and go back to the same roster. And, and it shouldn't be the same roster next year. I think Jordan McLaughlin outperformed D'Lo really in every game he played. I would imagine that the plus-minus for Jordan was way better uh, than D'Angelo over that series. And finally, in, in game six, they put uh, Jordan back into the game with like two minutes or maybe even less than two minutes uh, but they finally took D'Lo out, and Jordan McLaughlin was playing great up until that point. I think at the nine, eight or eight or nine minute mark, they take him out, and I was just, I was angry. I, I was questioning Finch, why are you taking him out right now? He's the best player on the court for us. He's he's got the offense moving on the pick and rolls and not throwing the ball away like D'Lo would do at the end of what, what felt like every game. One there'd be at least one pick and roll with Cat where he'd throw a terrible lazy pass that would get intercepted and go down for. a a Tyus Jones three the other way or a dunk. And it was just the, I know D'Lo plays, he plays sort of slow. He likes to do that big exaggerated pump fake over his head. 
And I like the, the calmness that he plays with. But when you're playing that lethargic and you're not producing, you're not scoring, you're not helping your team, you're not getting them open shots, you just can't play that way. It's it, I think it's a, a cancer to a team to have a guy who plays as lethargic as D'Lo does with the little production he had in this series. Now, he, he was brilliant against Memphis in the regular season. That means nothing uh, when it gets into the postseason. He was just he was flat out bad and really every moment he was on the court in this series. And I think you got to get rid of him. I, I don't want to see him play another game in a Wolves jersey. I mean, that, that lack of leadership, the, the lethargic, cancerous energy that he brings to our team, I think it's the exact opposite of what Pat Bev brings, what Anthony Edwards brings. And hopefully the big meow can start taking after some of those guys and, and being more positive and stop complaining all the time. And that was another thing. We were just complaining, and the officiating was questioned from both sides. And I think it was, uh, what's their head coach name, Taylor something? Taylor. Jenkins, yeah, Taylor Jenkins. He got fined like $15,000 after uh, the game four loss for talking about the officiating and how bad it was. And both sides were complaining, but the Wolves just do it so much more. And they do it, you know, like Carl's running people over because he feels like he's getting pushed on the defensive end um, or, or he's not getting the call. So then he just decides, okay, I'm just going to run this person over. And it's so obvious, and he does it, and then he complains. And then, of course, he's not going to get the next call. I mean, who in their right mind is going to give that idiot who just ran somebody over, lowered his shoulder, he would sometimes swing an elbow, swing an arm, and then he'd complain about it. It's just they they got exactly what they were deserving of in that series, I think. Uh, But it's a bright future. I think Anthony Edwards is the real deal, and I think we can build around him, and hopefully his energy just and Pat Bev get him back, and we can just build around those guys. Um, but I think they'll be back as well, and uh, I think they could do some damage in the future years. We'll see what Jaden McDaniels can turn into. He had some some uh, bright spots of this series. He was also bad in a few games, too, where he just couldn't hit the basket. He had like four air balls in one of the games. Um, but I think the the uh, the ceiling is high for this Minnesota Timberwolves team. You guys want to move into a little NFL draft discussion? Can I just add one thing on the Wolves? Yes, Randy. Um so I have uh, I've adopted the, the Wolves as my my one Minnesota team that I root for. I uh, uh, when I was living down in Iowa, I bought NBA Game Pass to, to watch games and out of I was out of market and um, watched uh, watched the playoffs with uh, with my dad while we were uh, while we were sick with COVID. And uh, he made the remark to me uh, after uh, after the game six, he goes, um, you know, this is this is what Minnesota sports fandom feels like, but it's. It's year-round, every single sport. You're experiencing this, this pain and frustration for just one team. And I just can't can't begin to fathom, like, every year, y'all have to put up with this. Like, it's absolutely brutal. It's so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding us, Andy. Uh, but welcome to uh, Minnesota fanhood. And, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. It is every single sport, every time we have any sort of playoff appearance or anything it's either you know start out hot and end up you know burning down in epic fashion or just get blown out from the onset there's really no in between uh it's either we dominate and find a way to lose a game which in many cases is like a historical collapse or it's like the twins who have lost i think 19 postseason games in a row um it's it's one or the other let's Move on from Minnesota sports, uh, wooing or I, I don't know, 
feeling bad about ourselves for being Minnesota sports fans. Let's talk a little draft. Um, Vikings moving and shaking, kind of unexpected, uh, I guess, after the Rick Spielman, the decade with Spielman where he was moving and, and, and wheeling and dealing the entire draft, every draft, trying to get as many fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks as he possibly could. Uh, and I think many of the Vikings fans and just Vikings media were expecting a very calm draft for for Minnesota, not a lot of trading, not moving back. And Quasi Adolfo Mensa and, and the Vikings front office decided to go in the complete opposite direction of what we were thinking, and, and they do end up making a bunch of moves. And it, it's you're going to hear the speculation. I'll speculate. We're all going to speculate on, on what we think is best. But in, in reality, we have no idea for until maybe two seasons from now how good or how bad this draft was for the Vikings. But to say the least, I think Quasi. Uh, he, he put himself out there. He made some bold calls. We moved back 20 picks in the first round. Uh, we swapped second-round picks uh, with the Lions, move up a couple, I think like 14 picks or something in the second round, maybe only 10, and then we added a, a, a third-round pick, number 66. So you move back pretty far in the draft. You, you take the 32nd pick of the first round, and you draft the safety out of Georgia, Lewis Seen, when you could have drafted Kyle Hamilton at 12. Uh, he, he ended up going 14, the, the safety at Notre Dame, really the surefire, I would say, is certainly more than, than Lewis seen. So that was, I mean, kind of a head scratcher. Maybe they, they liked the, the versatility of Lewis seen. He played 605 snaps last season at safety for Georgia, but he also played 110 as a slot cornerback and 61 as a linebacker. So a little more versatility, um, but who knows? I mean, I think Kyle Hamilton's going to be a stud. I talked about him before uh, a couple weeks ago. Really the only guy I'd, I'd watch any highlights for. I really wanted us to draft him, and they end up moving 20 spots back and taking the safety out of Georgia. Now, that being said, Georgia was an unbelievable defense this year. They had a ton of guys get picked in the first round. I think maybe three, and then throughout the rest of the draft, I'm sure there was a bunch more Georgia guys. But uh, initial thoughts, we'll start with Parker. From the NFL draft for the Vikings with with Lewis Seen as the first pick, we can move on through this, the later rounds as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely you, you touched on it, kind of a head scratcher. You know, um, a lot of people thought that it was going to be a um, take your pick uh, when you get them, not much trading around, but we ended up trading a, a lot. And, you know, I don't, a lot of people are frustrated. Um, because we moved around, not only because we moved around, but we moved around with division rivals. I don't really think there's much merit to that. I mean, like, we're all trying to get our guys, um, you know, whoever it might be. Clearly, the Lions wanted to trade up and get uh, Jameson Williams. I don't think we were even looking at him. Um, but the, the other thing is, is if, you don't, if you don't love a guy at 12, why not pick up an extra pick in the in the third round, which is what we did when going into the draft, everyone was saying this is a heavy um, value pick in the second and third round draft. Like if this wasn't this wasn't a you know great value pick for first rounders, so why not move back to pick one up, which is what we did. Um, in terms of the of the scene pick, I think I I, I heard K fan talk a little bit about this too. The the player that that Lewis Seen is. Uh, Complements Harrison Smith very well. Um, you know, Harrison's, you talked to versatility um, 
with Lewis team, but then you have Harrison Smith who virtually does the same thing. I mean, he doesn't, he's not a slot corner. Sometimes they'll line up on a tight end. Um, but he does play in the box a lot. He does, you know, fake and drop back a lot. That's something that, you know, you're not going to have just one player that can do that. You're going to have two. So now you have no idea which way it's coming from. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamic of do they bring both safeties up in one bail's late, um, that kind of thing. So it's going to add an interesting dynamic to the defense. Uh, and, you know, I'm excited for it. I, I don't have much thought on it. Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't like the the rest of the, the pick, you know, falling back again at, at 34 just to move up again uh, to get Booth from Clemson. Um, I mean, maybe that's their guy, but why not take him at 34? Uh, but, yeah, definitely an interesting draft. I, I, I don't know. Like you said, we'll, we'll wait a few years to see what happens. But, um, yeah, interesting to say the least. Yeah, and, and a few interesting picks in the second round, and I guess they're both second round picks. For uh, the 10th pick in the second round was Andrew Booth Jr., a cornerback out of Clemson, a guy who could probably start right away. I mean, we have tremendous need at corner, so he, he could probably start or at least see some significant playing time if he pans out at all. Uh, but that's Andrew Booth Jr. at the 42nd pick of the draft, and then at the 27th pick of the second round, that would be the 59th pick of the draft was Ed Ingram, offensive guard from LSU, another position that, that we desperately need, uh, interior lineman. Ezra Cleveland's going to start at one of the guards. We'll see who's going to start, if it's Ali Udo or if it's maybe Ed Ingram um, or somebody else they could bring in. But two positions, cornerback and offensive line, interior offensive line that we desperately needed uh, some help at, and they got him with their second and third picks of the draft. So you never know if those guys turn out to be great and they added an extra fourth rounder or whatever for moving back to get Booth. Uh, it could it could be awesome, but it could also be uh, an epic collapse. BG, your thoughts from the draft uh, and the Vikings' performance? First of all, I got to congratulate my ex-Potenza 7-on-7 touch football teammate, Jermaine Johnson. Um, from Eden Prairie for being drafted, I think, 26 overall. Only practiced with him twice. Don't think I said a word to him, but congrats. Um, but, yeah, I didn't do too much pre-draft research this year. Um, so, Lewis Seen, I've never even heard of the guy. Kyle Hamilton, I heard about him the day of the draft. So, um, I wasn't too disappointed or excited about anybody we got just because I didn't know anybody outside of the top ten, really. Um, I think, yeah, Quezzy, it was definitely pretty bold for him. Uh, I don't know how much input Kevin O'Connell has, but um, if he does have any, it's pretty bold for two first-timers to uh, trade back your first two picks. And two of the picks we traded during the draft were with division rivals, um, which traditionally is uncommon and a unique thing to do. Um, but like we said, it's neither here nor there, and we won't know for a couple of years what the actual impact is. But um, the thing that I'm happy about is I really wanted us to get defensive backs. I thought that that was by far our greatest need on the team. And our first, I think, two out of three picks were defensive backs. Um, it's going to be interesting to say, I don't know, it's either you, Beal, or Parker who's saying this, but I think that we'll see Harrison Smith, uh, Lewis Seen, and Cam Bynum a lot on the field at the same time. Um, and maybe roll one of those safeties down into more of a rover um, just because Harrison Smith and Lewis Seen are 
are pretty similar with guys that are going to stop the run first, um, as well as play pass coverage. I think Seen was the leading tackler on that Georgia team, which is pretty impressive when five defensive guys get drafted in the first round and you're a defensive, defensive back. So I think that'll be interesting to see. I, I really think Cam Bynum had a good rookie year last year, so I want him to continue to play. And then another pick I was really excited about, or, or probably the pick I'm the most excited about, is um, Andrew Booth from Clemson. We desperately needed a corner, and it's nice having a guy who uh, didn't play in the SEC but still played great competition, um, got to play the SEC in the college football playoffs, and just shut down pretty much everybody he came across um, from. He's a physical guy who's pretty lengthy and has great ball skills. Um, it seems like he could almost be a receiver with the way he uh, can get to the ball and catch interceptions. So I, I, I'm hoping that this these, these young guys who have an opportunity to make an immediate impact um, and see a lot of the field during their rookie year really, really helps our defensive back core. Um, since it's going to turn over soon when Patrick Peterson leaves and then we're just stuck with Cam Dantzler, who is not consistent. So um, I'm, I'm hoping this added depth uh, treats us well in the future and we can take advantage of these younger guys when they're on their cheap contracts and start to form a, a defensive unit together. So, um, yeah, also happy that we drafted a gopher. I think that's pretty cool too. Yep. Uh, Otanamawo? Otomowo, something like that. Uh, he, he was a fifth-round pick for the Vikings, uh, defensive end out of Minnesota. And he, he was super athletic. He's, I think, if I remember him correctly, more like number nine or something for Minnesota. Uh, but he, he was an edge rusher and just really long, physical, pretty fast as well. And I think he's, I want to say he was a four-year guy, uh, but he was just improving every year, getting a little bit better. So you, you hope that under the tutelage of, of now the Vikings head coach and, and the assistant coaches and whatnot, you can continue to uh, get him to perform well. Uh, Randy, let's hear your reaction from the Packers draft and uh, any thoughts you had on their performance. I believe uh, Randall has, has dropped off. Um, but I did, I did, if I can interject, have one more comment on the Vikings draft. Um yeah, go ahead. I have no opinion here or there, uh, but what you see a lot of times is with new GMs, are they when they go into draft, are they going to draft for position or are they going to draft for best available? And, and it's kind of split, um, I'd say, throughout the league uh, when, you, when you look at the different GMs, but it's clear that uh, we, we decided to go with position you know, based on needs, which, like I said, I don't have an opinion on, but definitely something to look at. Uh, I don't think Spielman was necessarily um, that way. He did in certain circumstances, but uh, we definitely have in, obviously we not with, you know, trading picks, it's the same as Spielman, but uh, in terms of how we go about our picks, uh, definitely different than the last however many years we had Spielman. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It seems though Randy is maybe his phone has died or something. So that's great. We don't have to listen to any Packer talk um, at all. Any other thoughts from either of you, NFL draft related? Beautiful. We can move into a little Twinkies. The red hot Minnesota Twins, I should say, who are now 14 and 9. Today is May 3rd. The Twins have a three and a half game lead. They're 14 and 9 in the AL Central. 
And if if I told either of you two a month ago that we'd be in a three-and-a-half game lead, I guess not a month and a half ago, we weren't playing then, but we'll say a month ago that we're going to have a three-and-a-half game lead in a month from now, and, and we're going to be 10 of our last 11, and we're going to do all of it without – Sano, who's basically been non-existent and now is is going to be out for several weeks to months, probably with a torn meniscus. He had surgery, or he will have surgery sometime this week. But if I would have told you guys we were going to win 10 of our last 11 and do a lot of it in comeback fashion, have insane starting pitching, and finally get the bullpen to start working right, you nobody would have believed me, but that's exactly what has happened for the Twins. Uh, timely hitting, Buxton's been insane. I'm going to pull up uh, some of our stat leaders here, but the pitching's been been great. Joe Ryan, the guy they added, uh, he's got like a 1.25 ERA and 25 strikeouts. He's got three wins on the season, and that's our best statistical pitcher right now, and it was a guy they added I think two weeks before the season started. Um, so, so the Twins have been red hot. I haven't been able to watch, listen to a few games on the radio. Have you guys caught any Twinkies action on the TV yet? I've uh, I've caught a few games, um, and you know it's it's not the uh, the Bomba squad that you used to you you saw when we were dominant a few years ago in the AL Central. Uh, but like you said, it's it's the pitching rotation. It's quite shocking. I know we talked a little bit about it, um, you know, a while back on the pod before the season started, and we and I and I mentioned you know it's we'll see. We brought in some some pitchers that are past their prime and we have some young pitchers that, you know, haven't quite proven themselves. Sony Gray hasn't even, I don't think he's even, he might've pitched one game so far this year. Um, and we brought him into, into pitch, uh, BSB in the rotation and we haven't even seen him and we're still pitching on un- unbelievable. I think, you know, so far in this young season, um, you know, you expected Joe Ryan to have a, have a pretty good year, but one guy that stood out to me is, is Dylan Bundy, the the right-handed pitcher, who, with the exception of his last game against the Rays, he kind of got shelled. Um, but going into that game, he was three and zero and had a .5 ERA. So it, it's going to be it, if the Twins are going to continue uh, to hang on to the lead in the AL Central and and continue to stack those wins up, it's going to be the, the unsung heroes uh, that nobody saw coming at the beginning of the year, with the with the exception of you know obviously Buxton. Um, and Correa and, and those main guys. But uh, on the Sano factor, I think, I think to your point, he was hitting like it had to be at 100 or just under 100. So this injury to him, I, I don't even mind it. Um, it gave us a chance to pull up uh, our prospect from AAA, Jose Miranda. And he's, this is only his second game tonight. He actually had an RBI double earlier tonight. But um, – I had a chance to watch him a few times uh, in AAA with the Saints last year, and when you watch the games there, obviously a lot of different, a lot of different competition levels. He was the best player on the field. Like he was, he he was making solid contact every at bat, fielded his position perfectly. Didn't see one error out of him. He, he's going to be. I think he's going to be a, a good good role player for us um, here this season, but. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I know, Bill. We talked um, earlier about uh, the over under on the Twins was, I think it was we said like seventy eight or seventy nine and a half, and yep. and right now, if you had a chance, you'd probably go hammer it. Uh, I'm sure. So uh, definitely take yeah take into account the 
the the betting advice of of Beal and Parker, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. As far as the uh, some of the stats go, I think we could definitely give you some hardcore information on that. Carlos Correa has been pretty damn good. He's played 21 games for the Twinks. He's batting 260. Uh, he's got, uh, oh, I guess only nine, yeah, only nine RBI, so maybe not as as much production, but not terrible for him. Max Kepler, five dingers, 12 RBIs on the season. But really, it's been Byron Buxton. Seven home runs. I mean, he, he's an MVP candidate right now. He's got to be, at least with, with how well he's and how much the Twins rely on him uh, late in games to make big plays in the outfield. And then just, I think it was last weekend or maybe 10 days ago, something like that, uh, he, he goes yard uh, three times in a game, or maybe it was just twice, but three at-bats. No, it was three at-bats in a row. Uh, was spanning over two games where he hit a home run, and one of them was a, a two-run shot to tie it, and then it was a walk-off home run in the 10th inning, and then his first at-bat the next day he hits a home run. Uh, and He's just been tremendous for the Twins. And, and as long as he can stay healthy, I'm very confident the Twins can, can win the AL Central. Uh, if we lose Buxton, and I think they've already lost him for a few games. Um, with He's only played 15 games. Uh, but... If he can stay healthy for the majority of the season, I'm very confident that that over 78 and a half or whatever it was, Parker would would hit at least with the way they're pitching right now. If they can keep up this pitching and they can keep getting timely hits, never know what, what could happen. Um, although when we get to the postseason, we know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to lose uh, and probably get swept. But uh, yeah, BG, any thoughts on the Twinks? Well, just a little update. It's top of the ninth right now. Twins are up seven to two, so I'm going to chalk that in as a win. So that'll bring us to fifteen and nine, I think. Yep. So there's another game up on the the Guardians and the rest of the AL Central. But yeah, it's, it's been fun to watch so far. We haven't been winning our usual ways, like we have the past seasons where we've been successful. It's winning with four or five runs and giving up two or three runs a game. It's it's a different year, and I mean, it doesn't matter to me as long as we're winning the games and. Now with this win tonight, we've won 11 of the past 12. It's just insane. Got to take these wins no matter what. And even if it's a low-scoring game, it's still fun to watch. Yeah. You got to get on these streaks and ride it for as long as you can. You know the Twinkies are going to have like a two-and-a-half, three-week stretch where they go like 3-18 and 18 or 3-15. and 15. It's just bound to happen. Uh, but you got to ride these win streaks while you're on them. Let's keep it going, Twins. Any other thoughts from, from either of you across the wide world of sports? Andy was going to mention something about the PGA and, and an insider scoop he had on Phil Mickelson, potentially with some personal news coming out. Randy was going to break the story for us. Um, I guess we could we could hit on Wild. Did we hit Wild yet? I don't think we did, right? I don't believe so. Beautiful. Let's well, let's talk wild for just a second then, and then we'll wrap this up. But uh, a four nothing loss to the Blues to to start the series, game one at home in Minnesota. Um, the the NHL playoff seeding is ridiculous. I don't know why they do it, but for whatever reason, we got the Blues in the first round, and I feel like we're gonna lose this series just based on how the game went last night. The history, I think, we've been dominated by the Blues in like the last ten or eleven games or something. Um, we've been just throttled by them. And that was exactly the case last night. Anytime the Wild got in position to score, it seemed like they had to do so much work just to get a good look. And they had, 
pretty good grade A scoring chances last night, a number of them. Uh, but the goaltender from the Blues, whose name escapes me now, was incredible. And it just seemed like every time we would get a good look, they would go down to the other end and in two passes score a goal. Uh, it was just too easy for them. We had a bunch of power plays. We didn't capitalize on any of them. And I turned it off with like six or seven minutes left in the game after they scored their full fourth goal. Uh, and I just knew there was no chance. But this seemed like the penalties we took – uh, a few bad ones, but uh, for the most part, we were staying out of the box. They were in the box a ton, and we just couldn't do anything on the power play. Um, they almost had a shorthanded goal last night, uh, if that tells you anything about how effective our power play was last night. But Wild now down 1-0 in a hole at home for Game 2. If they go down 0-2 um, before heading on the road to St. Louis, it's could be over in four games. Um, but we'll see. Interesting decision, too. And I know we haven't really talked about this a lot, but Talbot, the the other goaltender from Minnesota, who's been playing phenomenal uh, at the end of the season, the last month or month and a half, he's just been unreal. Um, but they go with Flurry to start. And I don't know if maybe something happened with Talbot toward the end of the season, one of the last few games, if, if something happened or he got hurt, or maybe they just wanted the experience with, with Mark Andre Flurry. But either either way, they go with Flurry in Game One, and we get shelled by by St. Louis, uh, and not necessarily that, that was the fault of him. I thought Flurry actually played okay, um, took a number of, of of shots, good looks that that he turned away, and just the back end defense for Minnesota was was not very good last night. A lot of big rebounds, and it, it seemed like every time they would score, it'd be Flurry makes an amazing save, it deflects to the other side. Nobody's there besides. Uh, blues players and they they rattle one in uh, an easy one they had a bunch of easy ones it felt like uh, on rebounds and and tip passes and weird stuff but wilder gonna have to turn around quick parker your thoughts from the game last night yeah i think i think it just boils down to special teams and you mentioned uh the ineffectiveness of our power play and and they had a lot of power plays too and and that's that's game one of the playoffs for you. The 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 refs are gonna, you know, set a standard of what they want to see in terms of clean hockey. So look for look for the amount of penalties to decrease as the series progress series progresses. But um, yeah, I mean their five on five play wasn't bad. They were getting chances. I think we hit the post probably five or six times last night. Um, so if we can stay even strength or the the man advantage, I think. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count us out of this series quite yet, but yeah, we, we can't be taking those penalties. The blues power play, I think was, you know, top five this year. Um, and their penalty kill was also top five. So, I mean, they're, they're a great special teams, uh, team, whereas the wild are, you know, middle of the road. So as long as we can, you know, stay even strength or, or have that man advantage, I think we'll have a good shot. Um, in terms of the decision to go with flurry, over Talbot, I think, you know, you want to try to impose your will at home um, with a goaltender that won two Stanley Cups uh, versus a, a goaltender who's had a handful of starts in the playoffs. Um, I don't mind the decision. Both, you know, we're playing fairly well towards the end of the year. So um, they'll, they'll go to Talbot in the second game, I'm sure, and hopefully he can give us a better, better start than Flurry did. And it's not that he played horribly because you know at some point you got to score the puck right you can't win without scoring so I don't think we can put everything on on the fly but um 
Yeah, I mean, those you mentioned the rebounds. I mean, they were they were going right to the the tape of the Blues uh, players off the rebound, and I mean, at that point, there's not much you can do. So I think to progress in this series, you got to put put that game behind you. Um, it's kind of a, a eye opening experience. Uh, you get absolutely murdered at home uh, in front of your crowd, and and you know it goes back to it. It's Minnesota sports, so hopefully. Uh, we can we can right the ship here. Been hearing all season that this is a different team, uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see if they can. Uh, I don't know if there's officially a curse on a on the Minnesota sports teams, but there sure feels like there is one. Yeah, I mean we we've talked about it many a times, but we should go into some sort of deep dive on all time playoff records and trends for Minnesota because it's got to be the worst of, of any major city to have this many franchises with without winning championships. The Twins have won some, but it was back in, in 91, I think, was the last championship for a major four sport in Minnesota. And, and other than that, it's it's been blanks across the board for every other team. Um, so we should, we should do, but I, it's got to be the most cursed major metropolitan area in really of any – of anyone I can think of, I don't know, maybe Buffalo, but they don't even have that many teams up there. Um, so I don't know. It's a cur- it's a cursed sports town, that's for sure. PG, any uh, final thoughts to leave the viewers with today? I'm I'm not going into the Wild Series with my hopes up. I learned that the hard way from the Wolves, so um, maybe this will do it for us. Just keep our heads low expect the expected and who knows maybe we'll get the unexpected i like it that's a good note to end on expect the expected which for minnesota is a first round exit of the playoffs but you never know we'll see what happens and we'll uh we'll talk more hockey next week we'll maybe do a little bit more of a deep dive if we have anything on the nfl draft we'll talk some twins as well we'll see you all day there is a house in new orleans
Oh uh-huh. 